Hi, and welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're brought to you with the support of Medical Mutual. I'm your host, Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Big news from City Hall last week as Mayor Frank Jackson announced that he would not seek a fifth term for office. He has been Cleveland's longest serving mayor, but has decided not to run again. Here to talk about the mayor's legacy, as well as what that might mean for the candidates who are in the race, are Cranes Cleveland business reporter, Kim Palmer, as well as enterprise reporter, Michelle Jarbo. Did it come as a big surprise? No, uh, it was uh, it was um, not a surprise to anyone. Um, the fact that uh, he uh, titled it a special announcement was uh, sort of a little bit of a hint that we were going to it wasn't going to be your average coronavirus update. Uh, so uh, the fact that he um, also it was done with city resources and on city time was a pretty good indicator that he wasn't going to use it as a campaign, uh, you know, lift off. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't a very big surprise. And um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a rumored uh, thing that was going to happen for, for quite a while. So how would you describe the tone of the mayor's address? Yeah. Um, there was a short video that, sort of inexplicably, but very interestingly, uh, ended with Sam- the actor Samuel L. Jackson at the end talking about what a good guy uh, Mayor Jackson was or is and um, and kind of congratulating him for the nearly 16 years as mayor. But I, I, I do have to say in, a, a, you know, once we got into it about 10 minutes in, I realized um, that he was talking a lot about what he wasn't able to do and the things that, and as he put it, quote unquote, kept him up at night. And uh, uh, it was it was a somber sort of goodbye as opposed to a retelling of the 16 years and everything that he was really uh, proud about. It was it was uh, it was a lot about um, what needs to be done in Cleveland and about his concerns going forward. So it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's. It was very Jackson, but it wasn't something that, uh, you know, you might see from a lot of other politicians who would have spent the time just touting all of the, uh, you know, the big moves, which there are some, you know, there are, there are many positives in Jackson's, you know, history, but uh, he, he seemed to spend a lot of time on what, uh, what he worried about for the future and where we needed to go as a city. Mayor Jackson's been mayor for nearly 16 years. He came out of the central neighborhood where he was a community organizer and headed up a uh, community group there, was on city council for a short period of time before defeating Jane Campbell in 2005. Politicians often talk about, I want to stay loyal to my roots. I don't want to forget my roots. And sometimes it's a lot of hot air. But with Frank Jackson, it did really seem like he was really there to represent a group of people that often aren't heard from. Is that a fair characterization? Uh, I, you know... He did, there was a good amount and has been a good amount of criticism that when you look at the tenure of Mayor Jackson, the 16 years, you see a lot, I mean, billions of dollars every year of uh, building in downtown. You see the rise of places like Tremont and Ohio City and even Detroit Showway. But the criticisms that he found himself constantly facing were, what about the other parts of the city? What about specifically the areas that he, you know, uh, grew up in and and still lives in, in the Central and the Kinsman area? Uh, One of the big uh, protests, I remember, from uh, community activists during the, the Republican National Convention in 2016 was, well, this is great, but what about the rest of the city? Uh, So he did take that to heart we uh, you know and what i think for this latter part of this uh uh of this 
last four years, he really has spent some time um, and um, effort his administration into the transformation, neighborhood transformation initiative, which is putting a lot of money uh, in housing, um, even in small little micro grants, like paint you know, loans um, to helping rehab uh, single family homes and, and also create more uh, more both uh, commercial and new residential development. So he really, uh, I think, reacted to some of that by by putting about uh, sixty five million dollars into these into these projects. This is the landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a word from our partner, Medical Mutual. Michelle, you had a chance to meet with the mayor last week and have a one on one conversation. What was the gist of your conversation? Did, you, did he talk about remaining priorities, things he wanted to try to accomplish in these last few months? Um, he did, and it was a WebEx meeting uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic. But um, during our conversation, following on what Kim said, the, the mayor really stressed the point that he doesn't care about any of the big sexy stuff if it doesn't lift everybody's boats, that he's, he's extremely focused on equitable opportunities across the city, um, racially, socioeconomically, neighborhood-wise. And, and when he talked about priorities for the remainder of his term and what needs to happen going forward, he, he was very focused on, on equity, on eliminating disparity, on weeding out racism. And he talked about the need for systemic change and institutionalization of some of the shifts that have taken at city taken place at city hall in order for the next administration and whoever comes after them to take on these priorities. So, you know, he was saying if some of these programs we've put in place, such as the mayor's neighborhood transformation initiative, don't survive me and evolve under the people who come next, then we've failed. You mentioned the mayor's uh, the neighborhood transformation initiative. How does that work? Is, is, is the funding of it? Is, is it funded mostly through uh, public investment or is it is it capital investment, a little bit of everything? So it's a mix of public and private funding. Um, there were lenders who made some commitments. There's some city commitments. There's uh, development community participation. There's philanthropic participation. And I think the jury's still out in terms of how much change that program has been able to produce. I mean, tangibly, if you drive through Glenville, which is one of the target areas, you'll see that there's an apartment building with a co-working space and a business incubator on the ground floor. And the businesses that are there are predominantly small minority-owned businesses. Um, so that, that's a tangible demonstration of this focus on investment in neighborhoods where the market isn't really functional, but it's going to take time for us to determine whether that model is successful because the idea is not that the public and private sector keep putting a bunch of subsidy into projects. It's, it's that the public se sector assists to the point where the neighborhood can then be a functioning market on its own. We're certainly not at that point. Um, but but we'll have to watch over the coming years to see if public participation can indeed ease off in some of these areas as the private market kicks in. Cleveland is supposed to get some $540 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. Did the mayor talk about how he hopes to maybe get some things in place that, that we can get going on that when the money comes? 
Um, the mayor did talk about that in our conversation last week, and his his primary focus was stabilization of the city budget, and he's obviously very concerned about what's going to happen going forward with this issue of um, employment and income taxes. So the question of if people continue to work at home and they're working outside of the city, what does that mean for the budget, and are those people going to end up paying all their local income taxes where they live rather than where their offices are based. But beyond those stabilization issues, the mayor acknowledged this $541 million or so is that will come over two years is a one-time opportunity. And we need to take advantage of that in order to look equitably at neighborhoods, make investments to connect existing corridors. He talked about creating linkages between the mayor's neighborhood transformation initiative and the Euclid corridor and the opportunity corridor from a physical development standpoint, you know, creating opportunities for jobs and wealth building across the city. He didn't get into a lot of details about it. And he said that at this point, it's difficult to say exactly how that part of the program would play out. It's probably going to be easier to say, okay, well, this is how we're going to deal with budget issues right? Because it's easier to put numbers on that. But he, he said any of the investments under that uh, Treasury Department funding should follow on the priorities that he's been focused on in terms of broad-based investment and, you know, rising to- tide lifting all boats. When it comes to this, these uh, 16 years, Michelle, do you think that the mayor has a particular economic development piece that he's really proud of, something that he really thought, this really accomplished what I wanted to do? Oh, boy. You know, I didn't ask him that specific question. I did ask him about things he's worked on that he hopes his successor, whoever it may be, might carry on. Um, And he did mention some of the planning around the lakefront and initiatives out in the neighborhoods um, as things he hopes he's leaving in a good place for his successor to pick up and move forward. He doesn't really have a tendency to toot his own horn about things, so it's sort of hard to say that, you know, whether there's one thing or another that he's really proud of, um, sort of going back to what Kim said, um, you know, he, he has had more of a focus on these are the problems we need to address. Here's what we still need to clean up versus, hey, look at this fancy thing that I did. Kim, let's talk about some of the successes he has had as mayor, maybe if they're not economic. What would you say some of the best things that happened or the Jackson administration that really helped the city? Yeah, I mean, um, he did, he was able to mention a little bit about the schools, uh, the city schools, CMSD schools. And I think that's really where, you know, you can see the numbers uh, change over the last 16 years. I mean, the graduation rate, you know, um, uh, hitting, uh, you know, above 80% as of, we should say, pre-pandemic. And even in 2020 was a pretty high uh, was the highest uh, graduation rate for CMSD. Uh, bringing uh, Say Yes to Cleveland, which is a uh, program that will um, guarantee college tuition for CMSD graduates, um, graduates from CMSD high school. He's, he, he, he tends to mention those a lot. I think that's one of the things that he is, feels comfortable touting because it is, you know, it, it's such a positive uh, thing for the city. You know, he is a kind of put your head down, sort of do the work uh, mayor. 
which is, you know, you, you can like that. It's, it makes, sometimes it makes it a little hard to do our jobs as media, which has been brought up quite a bit that, you know, uh, the city hall is where record requests go to die and it is difficult to get interviews and things like that. So, you know, some of these, these programs that he has that, you know, that have benefited the city kind of, it's a tree falling, you know, in the forest and, and not, you know, enough people hear it. Um, so it'll be interesting, I think, for all of us in our, you know, in our uh, occupation to see who comes next and and how willing they will be to be able to tout their own horn and, and, and you know, be open and transparent with with things that the uh, that the administration's doing. The mayor's taken us through some tough economic times, including the major downturn in 2008. One of the things I noticed he does tend to talk about is that they didn't have to make big cuts in budget or or slash jobs. Was that because he's just a good economic steward in some respects that he was able to to do that? Well, he's he is very proud of, you know, uh, balancing budgets and, and, you know, keeping everything uh, in place and in financially for the city. And and that is another thing that he will, he will tout a bit, you know. Um, But, you know, in his famous or infamous quote, it is what it is. (laughs) You know, he's often just very practical about um, where, you know, how, how the, how uh, they, how they keep the budget very practical and how he, you know, sometimes there's, there's money to spend and sometimes there, there isn't. So uh, this, the new federal stimulus will be very interesting to see where his prior, where, you know, where the priorities for the city will be with, with that money. We've all laughed about it is what it is, but where does the mayor fall? I mean, his supporters say he's a pragmatist, he's realist. And then his, his detractors say, well, that shows a lack of vision or a resignation. Does he fall somewhere? between those two polls? Well, I think one of the ways we'll find out is to see who follows him, right? Uh, we are, right now it's uh, quite quite a growing field um, and included are some old, you know names that we know, some people uh, who've been around in the city, the council president, Kelly, uh, Kevin Kelly, being one of them who, you know, would be a sort of, logical successor, you know, considering um, that uh, Jackson was also city council president. But then we see a whole list of kind of up up and comers, right? Uh, Justin Bibb, who has gained um, a lot of name recognition and, and, and funding for his run, who has never worked in uh, in the city government, who is, you know, young, who is in his mid-30s, who has a very different background than Jackson. If those are our two front runners, and also I should uh, mention also uh, Senator, uh, State Senator Sandra Williams, who comes from a political background, but in a completely different way, would be if if elected the first woman, uh, African-American woman, you know, in the position if those are there are three big front runners, and if it's between those three, I think whom, whomever ends up being elected, that will tell you, you know, was the openness and transparency and communications kind of the fatal flaw of of Jackson's uh, administration, um, or you know, or people just looking for stability and and someone they know and a name that they know going going forward and, and want to continue with that. So I think I think the the story maybe it gets a little clearer, you know, after November when we know who the, the city wants to to replace him. 
Michelle, it takes money to get elected. How was Mary Jackson's relationship with the business community over the years? Was it always pretty solid? Oh, I think it depends on who you talk to in the business community. Probably like it depends on who you talk to within the broader community in Cleveland. There are people in the business community who find the Jackson administration very frustrating, um, who feel like there's just a lot of bureaucracy. Um, and there, then there are people who have a good working relationship with the mayor who find him to be you know, pragmatic and reasonable to deal with. It, it really depends on the person and the circumstances. I would also say that there are some distinctions drawn within business circles um, between the mayor and the administration, the people surrounding him. I mean, a lot of the people I deal with in the business community are not dealing directly with the mayor. They're dealing with other people at City Hall, and they may have positive experiences or negative experiences, depending on the point of contact. I, there's a general sense that the city needs to move, to use a hackneyed phrase here, maybe at the speed of business more, that, that things tend to be slow, that they tend to bog down, that it can take an excessive amount of time to get a building permit, to get a question answered, to go through an approval process, that there are a lot of boards and committees you have to deal with to get anything done. So I, I think that's probably the most common complaint I've heard from people is just timeliness. But I don't know that that is an issue specific to the mayor versus being more of a systemic problem. Kim, I think all political administrations these days are making it have to be more inclusive to get outside the old boys network. How did Mayor Jackson do on that front? Well, um, I, one of the uh, defining uh, elements of Jackson's administration, I'd say, besides just how loyal you know the people in his administration are to him, is the fact that he did elevate a lot of women to leadership positions. There, there, his, uh, his, both his. Um, uh, communications and 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 his uh, uh, many of the heads of his departments are are all women. Um, the law department, the, his chief of staffs, uh, some of them have gone on. Uh, Natoya uh, Minor Walker is over at RTA. Uh, he had the head of uh, community development. Tanya Maness is now at Neighborhood um, Progress. Um, so he has had some people move on to other leadership positions, but he still maintains. You know, a high level of, of very impressive women in his in in his ranks, and um, it'll be interesting to see you know where everybody uh, ends up, who stays with, and 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 who goes on. Um, and as we are looking at a lot of openings in not only uh, the political uh, roles here in Cleveland, but also some nonprofit and some other community organizations, it'll be it'll it'll be interesting to see where everybody ends up, and you know what. You know, after 16 years, you know where uh, where the leadership and in, in the Jackson administration, you know, if they continue to stay on and continue to be part of the city's development. The mayor chose at his Thursday press conference or his uh, announcement about not running again, not to endorse a successor, not to pick a candidate that he's backing at this point. Would Mayor Jackson's endorsement carry a lot of weight for whichever candidate he chooses to support? That's a good question. That is a very good question. Um, he did say he will be looking. Um, he's keeping his eye out. Uh, whether or not he's already made that decision and just, you know, decided not to to share it with people um, uh, on Thursday it remains to be seen. There are still um, pretty heavy rumors out there that we're looking at one more big candidate to join the race. Uh, that's Dennis Kucinich, former former. 
Cleveland Mayor Dennis Kucinich, um, but we are getting close to a deadline, so that that's going to happen or not, you know, within the next few weeks. Uh, whether or not Mayor Jackson's endorsement, it, I don't think it could hurt. I, I can't imagine it hurting any candidate. I don't know how much it might help, though. Um, we saw in the um, four elections leading up to now uh, a continued uh, drop, except for the last one, which we had a, just a slight bump, but a continued drop in actual voter participation in the mayoral, mayoral election. And it makes, you know, it, when you think, uh, this is one of the theories, when voters think that the decision's already been made, oh, Jackson's running, he's going to win, obvious, you know, whether or not, whether you see that participation fall, whether that's the reason for the participation falling, might mean that he, his endorsement might not have the weight that it, it could have, you know, in 2009 and 2013, if he had decided not to run then. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, the this is going to be an election to watch, and this is going to be an election that's going to, I think, say a lot about um, the city and, and uh, you know, what people, you know, maybe how they felt about Jackson in the end and how they felt about his administration, you know, in, the, in these last four years. I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting races come fall, and if we have a competitive mayoral race, I would imagine that would get people, more people to the polls than 60,000, which is about what we had the last time. I think that's the hope uh, for uh, many, well, at least for uh, certain political groups in the area that that a uh, more robust uh, election, uh, mayoral election, and 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 having you know District 11 up and having a senatorial race, you know, uh, that looks to be really interesting, um, that that will will you know kind of get people to the polls and get people more excited and more interested in in the you know voting in general and in what's going on you know one of uh, one of the criticisms has been when uh, when you don't have these competitive races it really dampens it dampens you know these voter outcome this voter uh, uh outcomes you know across the board michelle in your conversation with the mayor did you talk did he talk at all about what he might hope his successor does did he have any thoughts about that well, he, he very specifically said he did not want to hamstring his successor by placing expectations on them. He, he, his perspective was, look, there are some good things that my successor, whoever it is, will inherit, uh, such as a stable budget, uh, potentially some groundwork on lakefront planning, uh, as well as some neighborhood initiatives. He, he mentioned hope that you know by the time the successor steps in, the hospitality industry, which has been so hard hit by the pandemic, will have revitalized somewhat. Um, but but then he, he said, you know, there surely will be things that his successor has to take on that will be unpleasant. Just like when he stepped into the mayor's office, there were things he had to deal with that were legacy items that weren't his favorite. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, hearkening back to some of the tone he had on Thursday evening last week when he made his announcement. Uh, he, he said whoever it is who succeeds me, they're going to have to deal with a crisis. Um, you know, in the middle of best laid plans, there will be a crisis. There always is. And um, really the most important thing is not specifically what that crisis is, but how you respond to it. 
and and that, that seemed to be kind of the the advice he's leaving for whoever comes next is you know there's prepare there will be a problem and and the way you deal with it that's how you'll be measured yeah who would have thought mayor jackson would a couple of years ago would have thought i'm going to be dealing with the coronavirus pandemic things like that always come up hopefully nothing that severe but there's always something sure he he mentioned you know that the administration is still dealing with that and he said i think there will be other things that come up between now and the end of the year well, it's going to be fun political watching that's for sure Michelle Jarbo and Kim Palmer, thanks so much for joining us today for The Landscape. We appreciate your time and your reporting, and we'll see what the fall brings. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Dan. We want you to make plans to join us on Friday for The Landscape when Crane's Cleveland executive editor, Elizabeth McIntyre, brings us up to date on a forum that she led for the Cleveland Press Club looking at the economic outlook for Cleveland and Northeast Ohio. That's our next Landscape podcast that's coming on Friday. The Landscape is a Crane's Cleveland podcast presented with the support of Medical Mutual. Thanks to our producer, Kobe Smith. I'm Dan Pauletta. Thanks for joining us.